Hello, welcome to FBeats. I'm Elaine, and today we have the pleasure of having with us Mr. Rajiv Kasavwaria. Rajiv is the CEO of Stewart's Stewardship Asia Centre, which is an organisation based in Singapore that promotes the concept of stewardship in business and leadership. He is recognised as a thought leader, author and keynote speaker. Prior to his role at Stewardship Asia, Rajiv served as the Global Chief Learning Officer of both Coca-Cola and Morgan Stanley. He's also held leadership positions at the American Express and Goldman Sachs. He's the author of several books, including Open Source Leadership, Too Many Bosses, Too Few Leaders, and these books explore the changing landscape of leadership and offer practical guidance on how leaders can adapt and excel. Hi, welcome to this conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, you know, I uh, spent 22 years in the corporate world all over the world, uh, first in banking and then in studying human behavior. Uh, and then for the last 13 odd years, I've been in the uh, nonprofit sector looking at leadership and uh, now stewardship and sustainability. Thank you. So um, you've, you've given uh, previous interviews and I think one of the things that um, you've mentioned, which um, I find in interesting is when we talk about ESG, we talk about environmental issues, which is dear to most people, um, social economic issues, and then there is governance, which doesn't quite sit mm -hmm. um, well. Um, and in fact, you've talked about uh, perhaps a different way of looking at it. Uh, would you elaborate for us? Today, when you say ESG, most people think, other than the investment world, most people think ESG is a framework with which we are going to save planet Earth and humanity. Whether environmental challenges, social challenges, uh, that's what most people think. But the key question is, is ESG as a framework actually addressing the challenges of planet or society or is it preparing the companies for the changing world and so that's problem number one we don't believe that it is actually uh, creating the kind of impact that it is intended for it's more like companies using it to assess what is their risk of the changes in the environment or changes in society and therefore what should we do uh, point number one point number two environmental challenges and societal challenges like socioeconomic inequality and cyber vulnerability are existential challenges in our times yes. g governance is the mechanism with which we hopefully address them so it's odd that the three are together and finally what i would say is that governance as a mechanism is grossly inadequate to address those challenges yeah exactly and i think just to add to that um, too many people look at esg as just a compliance thing you know, check the boxes and what do we have to do, to do just to come up with a report. Um, could you tell us about the work that you're doing at Stewardship Asia? Yeah, so what we are trying to do is shift the attention from a way, like you said, from reporting alone to actual action. Uh, so what happens is if you create, a, people think, people say that whatever gets measured and incentivized gets done. Uh, we actually think not. We think whatever gets overly measured and incentivized gets misused. So when things are down to formulaic measurements and then incentives based on those formulaic measurements, bad behavior happens. Uh, regulations are uh, bypassed with intelligent loopholes all the time. Um, 
incentives create bad behavior because my bonus is linked on incentive this or incentive that, and I'm going to try and show that that is actually good when it's not. Um, so it doesn't end up actually creating the impact that we need to save planet Earth and humanity. Uh, that's essentially the area that we focus on. What's missing? Why, with everybody talking about sustainability, everybody talking about ESG, uh, from regulators to to boards to uh, to NGOs to civil society to governments, everybody's talking sustainability. Everybody's talking ESG. Why then are we not having the desired impact? So that's what we research. That's what we try to figure out, and that's what we bring to the world. Okay, is there a short answer to that? Yes, and the short answer, how we found the short answer is the long way. We actually researched in 25 countries. We looked at companies that have been actually doing well by doing good for decades. They are actually thriving by addressing the very challenges that society is facing. So we looked at them, why do they do it? How do they do it? And the short answer is two words, steward leadership. They see themselves as stewards of planet Earth and humanity, which means that they take responsibility to do good by the environment and by society while conducting their business. So that's what we found in common between all of these companies. And there are companies that have been doing this for hundreds of years. Right. Uh, but the underlying mindset is that I am a steward of planet Earth and humanity and the leadership I practice is steward leadership. Actually, it sounds like there's quite a lot of um, change in mindset required because I think too many businesses tend to take a very short-term view based mainly on profitability and sort of immediate uh, results. Let me, yeah, uh, let me just say that we are not against profitability. We are not against profit maximization. We are not against growth and shareholder returns. Uh, the challenge of 21st century uh, leadership in business is to maximize growth and profitability by addressing the very challenges that are threatening humanity today. So it's not about how much profit you make. I mean, make as much profit as you want. How are you making that profit? Are you doing that by damaging the environment? Are you doing that by hurting society, by increasing the, uh, the socioeconomic inequality, or by making people more vulnerable with technology? We have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing it ethically, if you're doing it by addressing some of these issues, no problem. So based on the work that you've done, how can organizations cultivate this culture of stewardship among the ranks? Again, going back to the companies that uh, we have uh, researched in 25 countries over the years, what we found is that such companies actually build a culture of steward leadership. They, what, what it boils down to is three steps. One, they believe strongly in four specific values. We call them stewardship values. And not only do they believe in them, they make it part of the DNA, they make it part of the culture. Now people are rewarded based on those values, punished if they don't uh, adhere to those values. So what are those values? The first is a strong belief in interdependence. That the belief that if I help society, my business is gonna go further in the long run. So it's a two-way street, that's the first one. Second is long-term view. If I do the right thing by society and environment in the long term, I'm gonna make more money. And it's the right thing to do anyway. The third is ownership mentality. I take ownership to drive uh, business results and growth by addressing those challenges. I'm not gonna do CSR on the side, I'm gonna make it part of my strategy, my execution and my culture. So that's ownership mentality. And the fourth most important value is creative resilience. Now why do I say creative resilience is most important? Because if you're gonna make money by addressing the challenges, 
by making society and the world better, you're going to have to innovate, innovate, innovate. Innovation by nature means that you will fail 80% of the times. So the creative of creative uh, resilience is the innovation. The resilience is the tenacity to not give up even though you fail 8 out of 10 times. So that's step number one. In, imbibe these four values in strategy, execution, and culture. Second, based on these values, articulate a stewardship purpose for the company. A stewardship purpose aims to create a better future, not just for the shareholder, but also for society, future generations, other stakeholders, and the environment. Whatever that might be for your business, articulate how you are going to integrate the needs of all these people uh, in your business strategy, in your purpose. And then once you have your compass of values and purpose, by the way, if you have more than four values, that's fine, but those four you must have if you want to do it this way. Uh, the final step is now that you have this compass of values and purpose, everything you do from strategic decisions to pricing to hiring to firing to, to anything, execution goes through the lens of the compass. Does it uh, sit well with our compass? Should we do it? How should we handle it if we were to apply the compass? Every decision now goes through, and therefore, over time, every action of the company and each individual is guided by the compass. That's it. Nothing rocket science about it. It's about the sincerity and the consistency with which you apply uh, steward leadership. And how do you see Singapore, for example, moving towards that? So, you know, I get asked this question in every country that, I'm, uh, that I, uh, I talk to. How is this country doing or how is that country doing? Which country is better at this than others? And I find it very difficult to answer it. There are some amazing examples of steward leaders and companies pursuing steward leadership uh, in Singapore. Uh, Singapore's uh, sort of, uh, uh, sort of uh, governance models at the government level is also based on stewardship, as in, is the case in some Scandinavian countries. Uh, so, and yet there are people, uh, there are organizations in Singapore that don't believe in it. So there are lots and lots of good examples, including at the government level, and there are some that are not, and that's true of every country. So um, do you work with schools and universities and other centers of learning to try to... Um, yes, yeah, we, okay. uh, we do it in two ways. One is, uh, so working with schools and youth and school teachers and the sort of uh, sections of society that cannot afford uh, a high level of executive education and uh, coaching and training, we do pro, pro bono work. Uh, but we have limited capacity to do pro bono work, but we do it as much as we can. The people that work at SAC come here because it's a good purpose, because we are able to help uh, sections of society that otherwise wouldn't get that help. So we do as much of that as possible. Uh, but we also partner with, uh, with, corporate, uh, with the corporate world. So there are companies that will sponsor programs for, say, school teachers that we will execute and they will sort of uh, cover the cost of venue and our time, etc. cetera. Um, so that's the other way in which we do it. Whether it's for youth, whether it's for small and medium industries, whether it's for school teachers or any other section, um, there are a lot of companies that come forward and want to uh, bring this to them, so we partner with them to do it. So those are two. We do it ourselves and we do it in partnership with our corporate partners. Okay. Um, another concept that you've talked about is the 80-20 rule, mm. where 20% of people will create 80% of change. Uh, could you elaborate? Yeah, so that's not something that we invented. Sure. This is a, the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle was actually coined by Wilfredo Pareto in Italy in 1906. And he noticed that, you know, 20% um, of Italians owned 80% of land and wealth. And then he looked around in Europe, it was the same everywhere. 
he noticed that 20% of the uh, of the pods in his garden produced 80% of the peas and then he looked at agricultural produce all over the world and it was the same and then whether you look at software bugs 20% of the code produces 80% of the software 20% of sales come from 80% uh, of your sales come from 20% of your customer the 80 20 rule applies universally so what is the significance of 80 20 in stewardship and steward leadership a question that I get asked is Rajiv, all these lofty values and purpose and all that is great, but how can we convince everybody to do this? Don't you need stiff regulations instead to do that? And my answer to that is, I'll come back to regulations in a minute as to why they are ineffective. Uh, my answer to that is we don't need to convince a full 100% of the people. If we can convince 20% of the people to be steward leaders and run their businesses in the way that we are talking about, that ought to be enough if Wilfredo Pareto is right. And so far, I have not seen that theory being debunked uh, mathematically by anyone. Okay. So there's hope. We only yes, have to I, convert two out of 10 people. We, I see that as good news, really. Yes, it's yes. good news. Yes. Uh, and that's why, you know, now coming back to regulation yes, and yes. incentives. So you see, uh, shareholder capitalism, we, we talked today that shareholder-centric capitalism is bad. And we need a more stakeholder-centric model and all that, which is more inclusive, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. We beat up shareholder capital. It's a fashion today to do that. But we are using the same tools to drive responsible behavior in business today that broke the back of shareholder-centric capitalism in the first place. Let me explain. Shareholder-centric capitalism said, incentivize businesses to make a profit, maximize profits, okay? Because that's the job of the business, okay? Milton Friedman and all that. Uh, or Adam Smith, even yes. before that. Yeah. Then comes Milton Friedman 200 years later, said, no, we need some regulation as well, because we need to, uh, the companies need to play within the uh, rules of the game, if you will. So incentivize to make profit, but with some regulation. Then the next is measure and uh, against both the incentives and KPIs, and whether you are complying with regulation, and then based on that measurement, uh, reward or punish. Yes. That has been the uh, way market capitalism worked all along, right? What are we trying to do? We are saying that that's bad, but the tools we are using to drive responsible behavior, we are incentivizing with, the, you know, let's link CEO compensation to ESG markers, or we are giving tax incentives or green incentives. We are putting in huge amounts of regulation that you have to report this, you have yes, to report yeah. that. You know, ESG is all about that and therefore compliance. Then we measure and uh, measure against both the uh, incentives, whether you're achieving uh, what we asked you to achieve and whether you're complying uh, with the regulatory requirements uh, and uh, rewarding and punishing based on that. What chance do we have that that same system that broke the back of shareholder capitalism is actually going to drive this kind of right behavior? What we are learning from the best of the best companies is they are not doing it because of regulation. They are not doing it because of incentives. They are not doing it because of cheaper capital. They're certainly not doing it because of uh, reporting requirements. Yeah, and therefore, that's where the concept of stewardship comes in. They are doing it because they have a different kind of leadership intentionality, which is based on those four values and the purpose that I talked about, which makes steward leadership. Yes. I can give you many examples of companies <coughs> that have been doing this for decades, if not hundreds of years. And I can tell you the commonality is those four values and a stewardship purpose. Okay. Uh, would you be able to give a case study or Absolutely. an example <coughs> or a story? I'll give you two or three. Very quickly, let's start in the West. Faber-Castell, you know, the pencil makers? Yes, yeah. 267-year-old company. And for 267 years, they have had sustainability at the core of their business strategy, 
such that it is a competitive advantage. So, you know, uh, back uh, uh, in the 1800s, fourth generation leader, family member, Lothar von Faber, started providing employee benefits like health insurance uh, and community housing and community church and things like that to the employees long before such things became the law in Germany. Okay. 50 years before they became the law in Germany. In fact, what they did paved the way for what became the law in Germany. Today, you cannot do business in Germany without providing some basic levels of uh, benefits like health insurance, etc. Mm. Okay, until today, they have sustainability embedded in their strategy, in their business planning, in their execution, in their culture. They do it because they want to. Let's come uh, uh, closer home. Uh, uh, the Ayalas in the Philippines, 200-year-old company, same story. Same story. In India, the Tatas, 155-year-old conglomerate, doing business uh, in um, you know more than 100 countries and revenues of uh, more than 300 billion today. Uh, their motto is we make money so we can give it away. 66% uh, of share capital uh, of the holding company belongs to um, uh, philanthropic trusts. So when they build a steel plant, they build a whole town around it with schools, colleges, hospitals, temples, mosques, churches, you name it, uh, parks, gardens, trees. They're not just building a steel plant. They used to have this, in Tata Steel, they used to have a, 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 a tagline which said, we also make steel. So there are many, many examples. There's so many examples of companies in Singapore uh, that are doing better and better. Uh, so I'm not saying that you don't need regulation. You need regulation, you need incentives, you need all of that. But that is not going to drive the kind of innovation that we need to solve for climate change, socioeconomic inequality. That will minimize harm. Regulation will minimize harm, hopefully. Mm, yeah. So coming back to 80-20, you need the regulation to minimize harm for the 80%. It's the 20%. Like not to drive. Yes, not to create to worse, yeah. uh, make the situation worse. Regulation will hopefully minimize harm. Uh, but minimizing harm is not the same thing as maximizing good. Yes. And you cannot legislate innovation. There can't be laws that say thou shalt innovate. Yeah. Innovation is a choice. Yeah. I have to struggle for it. Yes. And that only steward leaders can do. Right. Okay. And that 20% will do that. Yes. In addition to following the regulations yeah. and all that. It really shows how important leadership is and good leadership. Yeah, you is, see, the is. problem is that we've been we've been focusing on measurement and stacking companies on on sustainability ratings. You know, your rating is better, your rating is worse, and this, that, and the other. And uh, you know, everybody wants to know from which country, how many how many companies of which country are in that list of this list or that of sustainability ratings and rankings. Uh, no, we find that the best companies in the world are doing it because of a different value system and because of a different purpose. So we are the only organization that I know of that is trying trying to shine a qualitative spotlight on something that the world is either quantifying to death or using the strong arm of the law to push. Again, I'm very proud that, you know, Singapore has just um, come up with new regulations to tighten all that and, and reporting requirements and things like that. Yes, we need all that. But the best of the best who actually will save the world go way beyond stipulated regulations and innovate to find solutions. Do you talk about any of this in your new book that's coming up? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, sustainable sustainability is the yes. name of the new book. The question is, how do you sustain your own sustainability efforts? And uh, in the book, we talk, uh, we actually explain step by step how to implement the culture of steward leadership. It's a playbook for businesses and for government. Excellent. I was going to, to ask do that. that. Yes. Uh, but it's, the essence of it is basically that if you really are serious 
first of all, steward leadership is a choice. Okay, you choose whether you want to be a steward leader. And if you want to be a steward leader, it boils down to those three steps. Embed those four values, interdependence, uh, long-term view, ownership mentality, and creative Creative. resilience in your culture, in your execution, like it becomes the DNA of the organization. It's the default first response of the organization. Okay, Uh, then create a purpose that creates a better future for multiple stakeholders, society, and future generations. Um, if you make money that way for your shareholder, no problem. Mm. Right? Finally, everything that you you decide, you do it through the lens of the compass. So the book actually uh, provides a lot of detailed case studies, some of which I mentioned. Right. It gives you a step-by-step playbook. It also shows you how to measure the strength of your steward leadership culture. And the tool that we created, which has again been statistically validated, called the steward leadership compass. So the book provides uh, details on how to use that to measure the strength of your steward leadership culture. Uh, so that's what it's all about. Yeah, I'm really looking forward yeah. to getting my we hands all, on it. We also, we also tra- trace the history of how you know ESG came to become the front runner framework of all the efforts. There's lots and lots of frameworks uh, and how it's inadequate and how we need to move the needle towards values. So when will your book be available? It'll be out in November. Uh, Penguin Random House is publishing it. Uh, it's in the production process right now okay. as we speak. We finished writing it. I look forward to it. Thank you. Would you give us a takeaway? From- well, again, I think the biggest takeaway is whether you're for individuals or for organizations, um, is to ask yourself the question, what can I do in my lifetime that my children will be proud of me for? Mm-hmm. I can leave a lot of wealth for my children by making money in whichever way because I'm a tech genius or whatever I might be or... Um, you know, the world's best um, professional in whatever field, um, is that the purpose of life only? Um, Most people think the biggest uh, thing important to them is their family. So what are you doing for your family? I'm taking care of them. I'm giving them the best of the best, the things that I didn't have. I said, no, no, no. That's your basic duty. That's to take care of your family the best you can. That's your basic duty. What else are you going to do for planet Earth Mm. and for humanity? That's a choice you have to make. And so will you make the choice of steward leadership? is the question the book asks. And that's what I asked today. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank My you pleasure. My Thank pleasure. You. Thank you.